Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Being a Fan of Disney podcast. I'm your host, Cody Havard. In this episode, we talk to Jamie Williams, an instructor and doctoral candidate in the business school at the University of Mississippi, about how she uses Disney to help teach about human resources and employee relations in her classes. It was a lot of fun having this conversation, and I learned a lot talking to Jamie. So I hope you enjoy it, and please come along with us on our adventure. All right, class, welcome to another class of being a fan of Disney. And today we have Jamie Williams with us to talk about a few different things. She's going to talk to us about her fandom, um, but then also she's going to talk to us about what she's currently doing uh, while working on her doctorate in the business school and um, some of the courses she teaches on employee relationship or employee relations and how she uses Disney um, as examples in some of those classes. And then we'll kind of get into a conversation about how she uses Disney and how I use it from the, the consumer perspective. So um, first, Jamie, welcome to class. Um, could you give us a little bit of background as to your fandom, how you were introduced and walk us up through today in your fandom? Welcome. Sure, and thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, so I was actually born in Central Florida. I was born in New Smyrna Beach. So I kind of grew up with Disney. We lived there until I was in um, sixth grade. So like all of our um, school field trips were like to Epcot, you know, that was the educational park. Um, so I've been a Disney fan since I was born, you know. Um, my grandmother was a teacher in Florida. So they ha at the time they had free, free passes to the parks. Um, so when we lived there, I remember going to the parks quite frequently. Um, and then we moved away, we moved to North Alabama, which was, it's a beautiful area, I love it, but we didn't go back to the parks. So for a long time, like, didn't go to the parks. I watched, you know, Disney movies, of course, growing up. Um, and I didn't really rediscover my fandom until about five or six years ago. Um, my mom had, I had, a, I have a niece and nephew now, and my mom had talked about maybe doing a family Disney trip, and I travel a lot, so she was like, can you help us plan this, and I was like, well, I don't really know that much about Disney right now, so I just started doing research, and I just rediscovered my love of Disney, so I found this great podcast, WDW Radio, um, and, you know, listened to a bunch of those, um, really started on the backlog of them, because I, I liked what um, Lou Mangiello was doing so much, did some research online, thought this is actually a little more complicated. So I decided to do a business research trip <laughs> before our family vacation, the year before our family vacation. So, and I just love ever since then, I've probably gone down to Disney two or three times a year. Um, we did have that family vacation. It was a great success. There were nine of us and we had a blast, you know, all generations from, you know, my niece and nephew at eight and uh, 10 years old, all the way up to my grandparents. Um, and Ever since then, I just, I love Disney. And um, I've been at Ole Miss now for about the same amount of time, about five years. And I found while I was teaching, it's just so easy to bring in examples from Disney when I'm talking about a lot of the principles of management mm -hmm. or when I'm talking about organizational behavior, because Disney's really well known 
people like Disney. So when I'm talking about, um, you know, this is what they do in the theme parks for merchandising. This is how they integrate their different business organizations with, they bring um, Marvel into the theme parks and then they have the movie tie-ins and then they have their television division. Um, and they've, they've been able to leverage a lot of their intellectual properties across business organizations uh, from the cruise lines all the way through um, television and Disney Plus. So um, bringing Disney into the classroom has been really great and it just helps me express my fandom and um, yeah, it's been a really good experience and that's, uh, I love bringing Disney into the classroom. Oh. Hopefully one day I can do a class like this and be able to have a Disney related class. That'd be great. Well, very, very fun. And th thanks for the introduction and the, um, the kind of the getting back into Disney um, through planning. Like that's something that touches on. It's, it's so interesting that so many people, that's part of their vacation yeah. is planning it. And I, I remember the last time we went, uh, we went with um, a, a set of grandparents and um, I planned the whole thing. And it is like when you sit down to plan it, when you sit down to buy the tickets, it, it's like this special thing. And mm -hmm. then when you obviously when you're looking to get your fast passes is when fast passes were before the pandemic, um, maybe after, but it's, you know, it was a special thing to do that, like book, what fast passes did you get and everything? And then you like go and, and brag to people that, that yeah. may or may not be Disney fans. Um, but in you, you mentioning the, the podcast, um, WDW radio with Lou Mangiello, that that's actually where we started, um, kind of connecting about, um, different, different things and working in academia and everything. And so uh, thanks for that introduction. And one really, really interesting thing is uh, you mentioned that Disney is so easy to bring into the classroom and use examples in the classroom um, because of its presence as a brand and everything. Um, but I guess I'll start with the question what's the what's the balance to you when you use disney in a classroom is it because of is it more because of your fandom or more because it is they are they have really really good examples and really really good practices what they do or do you see it as just kind of an equal thing i think it's really equal i think it's really integrated because um, I know a lot about Disney because I'm a fan. Um, when I see any news headline that says something about Disney, I'm reading it. Um, and I specifically do research because I rather go read about Disney's diversification practices than the diversification practices of like Berkshire Hathaway or some other uh, real estate company. I don't care as much, right? So it's a lot easier for me to do my own research for my classes on a topic that I like. Um, when I talk about um, mergers and acquisitions, going and reading about the Marvel acquisition of, that Disney did, um, that's a lot more interesting to me than any other you know, acquisitions. So, and I think my students can um, appreciate my passion about Disney and my enthusiasm. They can see my enthusiasm for the topic. And that's also 
that's how I kind of, um, I try to bring up discussions in class when I talk about, you know, major acquisitions. Hey, can you guys name a major acquisition? What's something, what's an acquisition when, uh, that you can think of? And the Disney Marvel one almost always comes up at least once um, because people know it. Or it, it, Disney Star Wars is another mm -hmm. popular one that's brought up. Um, and it's really easy because they know what I'm talking My students know what I'm talking about. They see that I'm passionate about the topic and enthusiastic and it helps, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not just droning on about some, the details of a merger that they don't care about. Like they're like, I've never heard of this company. I don't know what you're talking about anymore. I don't know. Yeah, it, it is, it's much easier to make sense of something like acquisitions when, when you think, okay, so, so Thor joined uh, the house of mouse and, and things like that, that, you know, mm -hmm. something that you connect with. And one really interesting thing about Marvel and the Marvel acquisition is um, when, when I have talked about the acquisitions in class and, and I, I've talked to students about um, different acquisitions or fans or, or what they're fans of. So many people are fans of Marvel now because it's so contemporary. And I'm, you, you, you look at, it started in the movie theaters, 22 films over a period of 10, 10 and a half, 11 years. Now you're on to, to Disney Plus and the, the number of titles that are out right now. We're talking right now um, when, just after the fourth episode of WandaVision has dropped and, and everybody's losing their collective minds over it that awesome. um it's it and we can definitely we can talk about that too the um but it's just there's so much fandom around it that it does make using brands like disney it brings a lot of relevancy to theories that you're talking about in class mm -hmm. um so what is you you teach about uh or you use disney kind of from the um employee relations perspective yes. whereas I, I use it from more of like the the end consumer perspective so what mm -hmm. are some kind of neat examples that you use um to talk about your classes um so when i teach, I teach a lot of hr courses as well so disney is an interesting um company to talk about in relation to their employees um they have some when i talk about benefits and compensation disney is an interesting example because they have a lot of different benefits um that their cast members have access to that other companies don't leverage and it actually um makes them more attractive to a, a lot of people especially fans right mm -hmm. so if i'm a disney cast member i get i get to go to disney for free that's part of my pay package. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one way that Disney can actually draw in people who are passionate about them is to hire and say, this is our benefit that we have. People like that. And the people who like that are going to want to work for Disney. And since Disney is also known as one of the most admired companies, I think they were number four on Fortune's list this year. Um, them being an admired company also helps them to recruit high levels of talent because they they're well known for being a company that treats their employees well 
um, and that has different kinds of benefits and pay packages and stuff. So um, even though I know Disney has been criticized in the past about um, the base salary, but they're not, people don't look at the overall mm -hmm. benefits package. And that benefits package is what is attractive to their employees. Um, so it's, Disney has some really interesting HR practices and they're pretty innovative too. And they've done a lot of things um, to try to help their cast members, um, especially in these times. Um, so it's, Disney has some really interesting HR practices and they're great. It's great to bring into the classroom when you're talking about those kinds of things. Well, and it, it does, it is really interesting that it's one of those brands that because there are so many different points of attachment, because the, I mean, the media conglomerate that it is now mm -hmm. just has such a massive footprint, um, that there are so many different points of attachment that it is, it's something that people, some people, a lot of people strive to work for this company. Mm -hmm. And it's not just a, a job or not, not just a, a career that people think, okay, this is a way to, a means to an end. Um, people who do work for the company, a lot of people have real pride in that. And people that don't work for the company, um, yeah, there are a lot of people who kind of their goal is to mm -hmm. either retire or at some point move down yeah. to one of the parks and try to work for the company in the parks, or if they're in some of the other entertainment areas, trying to, to work for the company or, or do some type of work with them. Um, mm -hmm. And they're, they're really, it's a really interesting brand from that perspective to, to, that they're able to attract people that way. Yeah, and it goes back even to something as simple as the labels of the positions. So mm -hmm. Disney cast member, I want to be a cast member. I want to be an Imagineer. That's an, those are aspirational titles that people have. Um, and just, and it, it affects their employees psychologically. They're proud of that name. I am an Imagineer instead of I'm an engineer. Yeah. Um, it, and it's different and it, it gives people this feeling of belonging um, and belonging to something that they love, right? They, yeah. They're a cast member, it's great. Um, and just even something as simple as the name of the, yeah. the title of the employees has made a really big difference in differentiating Disney's employee practices from other organizations. Yeah, and I mean, just imagine like within the sport context, there are and I know there it happens across different genres uh, and product brands, but um, like there are fantasy camps where like, let's say you're, you're a baseball fan and your favorite team is the Chicago Cubs. You can go to a fantasy camp. That's like a week or something. And you get your Jersey. You have like, you know, kind of like a mock intro, intro, um, press conference and things like that and you get like a baseball card made of you and essentially you get to go and you play at one of their spring training or their spring training or wherever they're they're holding their camp could you imagine if disney had a a week fantasy camp where you could either be a cast member or you could be an imagineer and then they spread it out to to their different brands where for a week you could you could pay to work at Marvel or Lucas, <laughs> Pixar, all of these different things. I think a yeah. lot of people that would be a, an active vacation 
for a lot of people that, that, um, and it's just something that's so, it's something that is unique to the company um, that I, I, I've always found really, really fascinating. Yeah, I completely agree. And how many people, how many organizations could get people to pay yes. to come work for them? I will pay you to let me go be an Imagineer for yeah. a week. I will pay you so I can go work in Marvel and see, you know. So yeah, so it's really interesting because that just shows you it's the Disney difference, right? Mm -hmm. So what do you think are some of the other things that, um, some of the reasons why people, and, and I can briefly explain in a little bit some of the ways that I use it in my class um, or our classes, but how, why is Disney so easy an example to use? Because people use, you know, uh, so many people use Disney in their classrooms and as examples and case studies and things like that kind of drill down and what do you think are, are maybe two or three things that really make that easy transition? So one of the things that makes it pretty easy is that Disney's does it right. Um, Disney has a lot of practices that they have in place that are done very well. Um, as far as leadership goes, the Disney way, there was a whole book, I mean, mm -hmm. there's several books now at this point that have been written about leadership um, and all of it relates back to Disney, right? The Disney way is a very popular leadership concept. Um, I know that I was working in the automotive industry for about seven years before I came back to academia. And we were in, and that was one of the things that our organization paid for several of our leadership members to do was to, to attend a Disney way conference um, where they went and listened to people that were um, executives at Disney talk about how they lead the organization. So, I mean, Disney does a lot of things right. They're, they're, like I said, they're one of the most admired companies. When we talk about corporate social responsibility, um, Disney, I love showing pictures of the solar panels at mm -hmm. um, Walt Disney World in the shape of Mickey. Um, and they just talk about some of their practices with um, going away from fossil fuels for their buses. Um, and then I also think that something else that's important is they do have this presence right in the business world they're popular they're well known they're very well reported on um and i do think people try to focus on the negative a little bit too much um they always try to find something negative with disney to make a headline like disaster at disney and you're like that's nah, not a disaster come on if it was any other organization would you really have written that so uh, it being well known um and also their diversification so just they have so many different business units mm -hmm. from, you know, like I said, the travel, the cruise lines, the theme parks, the movies, um, all of that really helps. There's a lot of examples to be used mm -hmm. in the classroom in several different contexts. Um, pick a chapter. I can probably think of a Disney, <laughs> something yeah. related to Disney for that <laughs> chapter. I mean, it's not going to make a difference. Um, so, yeah. So I think it's just really just how Disney does things and then, the, the, the how well known they are yeah. just make crazy examples well and i i i think what's what's really fun is that um because there's so much or the because there's such a large presence and there are so many points of attachment that the end consumer and that that's kind of the way that i i approach disney is talking about it from the the end consumer perspective 
and and what the consumer is going to see and, and how those um, practices kind of wind up moving people up that escalator um, and just the the amount of attachment that people have is so strong that I mean we talked about wanting to work for the company but recently um, some colleagues and I we we did a study on how people reacted and coped to the parks and resorts being closed amid the pandemic yeah. and then some of the parks reopening during the pandemic and so one of the questions we asked was you know kind of how are you reacting what was your initial reaction and some of the participants said it's actually they were protecting the brand they didn't want people to go to disney and get sick and then try to sue disney and because it might take longer to to open back up at that point so it's like this idea of fans and consumers wanting to protect the brand because they are so identified with the brand that I think is just is, is really, really fascinating. And I don't think a lot of other brands have that type of equity with their consumers, you know, uh, and, and another aspect that, um, as you could tell by people watching by the virtual background that I have, mm -hmm. is that attraction to Marvel that I talked about with especially with um, younger consumers that are have now grown up with the MCU. Yeah. And um, it's so, people are so attached to it. And there's so much meaning behind characters in the MCU and characters in Pixar and Star Wars and things like that, that, that we actually in, in the class, um, and and I, I wrote the paper for, for anybody to use at college or non-college levels either. Um, they do an assignment where they talk about, they identify a MCU character that they most resemble or um, a few MCU characters that they most resemble. And, and here's why they feel that way. And here's the certain characteristics and everything. And it makes it so easy to do that and so much fun to talk yeah. about that because they are a contemporary brand and there's just, it, it's there, um, it's present and, and people really do attach to it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it makes it really, really fun to, to talk about in many ways. What are some, what, what are some other examples you've used um, to talk about Disney? Like what are some of the, the, the practices of Disney that, that you like to, to point out in your classes? Yeah, so um, some of the practices that I like to show, um, Disney increased their market shares, not only through, um, they expanded their fan base, right? So when Disney, when I was younger, a lot of Disney was about Disney princesses, and it was very feminine, it was very, um, for the younger crowd, but they were able to not only do they have great diversification for their business units, but also for leveraging different fans. So they have a great diversification of fans of consumers. So when they bought something like Marvel or Star Wars, they brought into Disney this whole fandom that was already established and they increased their consumer base by, you know, exponentially. They brought in the, you know, 15 to 80 year old males when they brought in um and that was not a, a mark a marketing segment that they really had a handle on 
So when we talk about marketing a bit in principles, we talk about marketing segments and how to diversify your marketing segments to reach many different types of people. And I really don't think anybody does that better than Disney. Um, they do have this nostalgic presence where they, the older crowd loves to come in. I, you walk around Disney and you see so many different older couples mm -hmm. just walk because it has this nostalgic feel right walking down main street it's still very you know marceline and the turn of the century kind of air you know um and they so the, you have the older people who gravitate there towards the nostalgia you have the younger girls who gravitate towards the princesses you have the younger boys who like the toy story land and even um the mandal mandalorian I'm sorry, bringing in Baby Yoda, Grogu, yeah. was a great, um, was awesome. Not only was the show fabulous, and it kind of reignited that Star Wars um, passion that I think some people who were disappointed with some of the movies, those major fans have come back because of The Mandalorian. And then look at, I mean, you can't walk five feet without seeing the child mm -hmm. with some kind of, like I'm looking right now, I have a child, the child um, ornament is sitting on my, my bookshelf mm -hmm. over there. It's the cutest little thing. Um, but so they're so good about not only expanding their fan base, but leveraging that into their marketing, into um, the sales of um, consumer products and even using the what's currently popular like wandavision to launch the next phase of yes. movies right um so that's i think disney does really well for that and to talk about diversification not only of the business units but also diversifying your consumers is i mean disney's done that fabulously and you know the the two properties you just brought up the mandalorian and wandavision the mcu um bring brings up this really interesting thing that I love talking about Disney plus and the launch of Disney plus and and just the overall success so far that they have seen with Disney plus and you know obviously there was no way to know when Disney plus launched in November that four months later everybody's going to be in their homes and for an extended period of time isn't going to be able to go out or do much if they do but you know the 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 presence of disney plus has really helped one the company stay relevant the mm -hmm. company kind of do the best they can to wade through these uncertain times mm -hmm. um and then it also has really what worked to set the company apart from so many others that did not have that point of attachment with their consumers. Um, right. What do you, do you talk about Disney plus in your classes? Um, and if you, if you do or you, or you don't kind of a, another question is on the consumer, the consumer end, it seems to have a, major impact. Um, do you see the impact of Disney Plus on the cast member, the HR perspective for the brand? So Disney Plus has actually allowed Disney to stay more solvent than they would have been able to do otherwise. 
Um, so I think it's actually helped Disney with their be able to retain cast members. And yes, there were a lot of layoffs. Disney's a business, they're doing the best that they can at this point. I think that they're trying really hard to, to mitigate the damage that COVID's done. But I think Disney Plus has been that thing that has allowed Disney to survive and dare I say or even thrive in this era of COVID. Um, Disney Plus is a really interesting um, example to use in classes for when you're talking about businesses because streaming was not a new thing, right? When Disney Plus came along, streaming had been established, Netflix had been in business for years, but Disney had access to this whole back catalog of IP that people were super passionate about. Um, and I'll tell you, I signed up for Disney Plus day one. I got my mm -hmm. three years at the discounted rate. <laughs> Me too. No problem. <laughs> it's like, yes. Yeah. Um, and Disney knew that people would do that. Like they knew that that would bring a bunch of people in right off the bat. Their prices were lower. Uh, this is also competitive pricing. When we talk mm -hmm. about competitive pricing, Disney Plus was lower than Netflix, than Hulu, which they ended up buying. They, they were lower than yeah. any, any of the other streaming platforms. Um, so when Disney came in, not only were they cheaper, but they also had a lot more content that yeah. people wanted. Yeah. So they had this, you know, that this, this great back catalog and they had the plans to make all these future projects. Um, cause they announced when they announced Disney plus, they announced these Marvel television shows. And I was super excited about that. Um, they, they announced the Mandalorian that I'm not a super, I'm not a big Star Wars. I like Star Wars, love Galaxy's Edge. Rise of the Resistance is unbelievable. But <laughs> um, the Mandalorian has made me a Star Wars yeah. fan. Like I, I, I love the Mandalorian. I thought it was great. Um, and that made me more interested in other Star Wars stuff. Like I rewatched the movies yes. because of that. Um, so Disney did did streaming better than everybody else and they did it more cheaply. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I don't want to say that they they took advantage of a bad situation, but they I mean they did take advantage of a bad situation when they they moved up the launch of WandaVision, right? It wasn't mm -hmm. supposed to launch quite. And they had to retweak the order of some stuff, mm -hmm. but they did streaming better than people had been doing it for years. Well, and, and Oh, sorry, go ahead. That's what Disney does, right? Yeah. They do what people had been doing and they do it better. They do it their way. And that's that's how Disney does it. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I guess people like to to quote um, Walt Disney and saying he, he they like to plus everything, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that that's, seems like what they have done and they've been very successful so far at, at doing those. And I... I remember having the conversation I've had several times on all these different streaming services and, and saying, you know, Disney is one, regardless if you, if you, if you have positive association with Disney or you don't like Disney for whatever reason, Disney as a brand is so strong because they have such a, an immense library that they can launch this thing and not have to negotiate with anyone else nope. because the people they would have negotiated with, let's be honest, they've already purchased. They can launch this and they have, they have titles 
that are going to keep people interested. And I know, you know, if, if you're looking at some of, I guess, some of the criticisms of Disney Plus in the first years, there weren't a lot of original content that people kind of latched onto. Some of that was because of the pandemic, like the Falcon and the Winter Soldier were supposed to come out in yeah. August 2020 and had to be pushed back. But um, just an overall success, <clears throat> excuse me, of using that platform to 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 one as you said help the company um stay solvent during all of this and two have people that could engage with the brand and engage with the company um in numerous ways and mm -hmm. you know like something like the mandalorian um, yes, it, it brought back a lot of Star Wars fans and the way that they are telling the story now, uh, or the way they did in season one had a whole bunch of throwbacks to like little scenes here and there in the movies to get people to go back to the movies. Season two, they start bringing in uh, characters from the different animated series. So now all of a sudden, yeah. and guess what? Those animated series are available on Disney Plus so you can go mm -hmm. watch rebels and you can watch um resistance and and clone wars and and the the way that they are able to tell their stories i call it the mcuification of star wars now has really okay. helped that brand um yeah. and will 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 help the relevancy of that brand um it's just it, it's been fascinating and a whole lot of fun to watch both obviously from a fan perspective but from a perspective of of someone who likes to try to keep tabs on these things as well yeah it's been great um and uh, i mean i don't i'm not even sure that disney knew how amazing that all of this was going to be and how um how big it was going to be when they were doing it um but it's it's definitely been an interesting to watch yeah and that's a pun intended. <laughs> Not only well, it's interesting to watch the content, but it's interesting to watch the process and the the results of what they because I mean they they launched Disney Plus how many different years ago, and then now they're seeing this big boom because yes. of Disney Plus. Um, so I don't know if they have a fortune teller on their staff, but it seems like it. <laughs> well, and they, I mean, you know, they they have outdone the numbers at almost every mark where where the the traditional measurements would come into play they've outdone the numbers as far as subscribers and mm -hmm. i remember disney plus the the thing that's so fascinating to me just about that and about streaming in general is i don't know if you've read bob Iger's book but there's one chapter in it where he talks about launching disney plus and the idea of disney plus and one thing he says is we have to rethink this model of return things like return on objective return on investment we have to mm -hmm. rethink that because that's not the way it's going to work in the future and i i feel like like when they when they put frozen 2 on the platform i, I think the first weekend that people knew they were going into lockdown in the united states they put frozen yeah, 2 they moved on. it up um they moved up onward and, and essentially it was in the theaters for 2 weeks and then you know 2 a month later, it was on Disney Plus, so people could watch. They Artemis Soul. Fowl, they put straight on Soul on Christmas mm -hmm. Day. Um, you can't. I mean, Hamilton, 
just oh my gosh that that was the thing that when they put hamilton on they Early. they dropped their uh subscription fee or i'm sorry they they dropped their seven day free trial because i remember reading about the deal they made for hamilton and yeah. foregoing that in theaters they potentially for you know they gave up a lot of money on the back end for those things but those are also the moves that have endeared the brand yeah. and people um and one thing that i still like i i, I have a hard time wrapping my head around is we're we're so trapped in this old model of return on investment mm -hmm. um that now we're and when we talk about movies we're talking about um box office numbers and, and what's coming from the box office now we're, we're talking about streaming and we're talking about streaming hours and downloads and how does all of that translate over into baseline revenue um which i think has really interesting implications when you look at the, the the former CEO of the company, still the chairman of the company, saying we have to change the way we look at revenue, and that includes we have to change the way that we are going to evaluate performance within the company, which is a roundabout way of asking my question: How does that kind of mindset lead companies, not just Disney but other companies as well? How does that type of mindset you think lead companies into the future when dealing with things like HR and employee relations? So one of the things that a lot of companies struggle with is how do you quantify what Disney can do? So how do you quantify fandom? How do you quantify passion? How, where does that fit on the balance sheet um, as far as, you know, in, in the income statement? How can I project how much this particular um, non-tangible asset can actually bring you and you can't um but disney has a way of and i'm not going to say they don't care but disney has a way that they, that they don't care about revenue because they do they care about revenues but they have a way of saying you know what we're going to do this because it's the right thing to do it benefits our people we're going to release hamilton in the summer because our parks are closed, people are at home quarantining. Um, we're going to release this for them. Yes, we paid a boatload of money so we could have access to this because Disney doesn't own Hamilton. Disney had to deal with Lin-Manuel Miranda and they had to buy that property and they were going to release it in theaters, like you said, that, and they, they would have made a ton of money had COVID not happened. They would have made a ton of money on Hamilton, but by releasing it in the summer, to the Disney Plus subscribers by bringing in people. People love Hamilton. People, I mean, I'm I'm a huge Hamilton fan. I've seen it twice on the in, on stage. Love it. I love it a lot. Um, and there are people that they were able to bring in to, as Disney Plus subscribers mm -hmm. because they released Hamilton. But not only did they bring in new customers, but they made their current customers feel good. Yeah. They made their current customers happy. And by doing that, that gives Disney this ability, and, and they've done it for, and this is just one example, one more recent example, but they've done that for a while now. 
that's how that's a, again like i said earlier part of the disney way is they do things that make their customers happy even though they may not get an immediate return on investment that long-term loyalty is more important to them than that short-term um return on investment their return on investment stretches out for years yes not just months yeah and that long-term planning is what disney what makes disney a really good business is that, that foresight they have that long-term ability to say you know what this may not make money right now but in two or three years it will and it's also making our customers happy and they'll be more loyal two or three years down the road because we keep doing things like this yeah um and other companies and other companies do this to a point um and i think that they by having that long-term mindset for the consumer they also start having that long-term mindset for their employees they have to think long-term about um reduction of turnover is one of the best ways that, that companies can utilize their workforce low turnover is one of the most important metrics for a company to have mm -hmm. because turnover is very expensive recruiting people to come into your organization because other people have left is very expensive it's very expensive to train people and when somebody leaves you also lose um uh information right the yeah. information that the person knows about their job that maybe other people don't know this this past history that this person has in their head you lose it every time you lose a an employee yeah. So thinking long-term by Disney investing in their employees, by giving them benefits that they want, Disney invests in their cast members for the long-term. They also have a lot of good leadership programs that Disney cast members have access to. They have access to college courses about business um, just by being a Disney cast member. Um, so they're investing in the long-term. Maybe they're paying a lot of money for their cast members to do things like do these these courses but if it makes their people better in the long run and it makes them more loyal makes them less likely to leave then disney's going to gain their investment in years yeah maybe and in a month they they you're you're so right that they do not take a myopic view in many instances um yeah there are mistakes here and there but as far as they they are looking at the long game and and um you talking about the cast members and you previously touched on you know what's happening with with especially the parks divisions right now um and and just the difficult decisions that have had to be made um and you know when when we talk to people about how they're coping with the parks closures a lot of people voiced concern over the, the economies, the local economies around where the parks are located, especially the, the ones in the United States, um, because that's where a lot of participants were, were referencing um, the local economies, but also the the consumer, the sorry, the cast members um, mm -hmm. that were negatively impacted by that. What do you what important lessons are you able to use now to teach uh, your students and other companies could use on how Disney is having to handle this difficult situation where they do have large numbers of cast members that have unfortunately been laid off and, and hopefully 
cast members will be able to start coming back more and more um, quicker. But, and that does impact the end consumer, but it has an impact on within the company as well. What, what things are you able to talk about um, with your classes about that? So the Disney layoffs were a big issue, right? A lot of people were like 28,000 people. Oh my gosh. And it was a lot. And it's, and I know it was devastating to, it's always devastating for a company to have to make that decision. And it was literally the only thing that they could have done at that point, especially with Disneyland still not even being open. Um, but Bob Chapek and Bob Iger had been on, they started working with the government from the first off, trying to get themselves in a position to where they could go back. They felt like we can go back to business safely if we do this, this, and this. They put a lot of work into planning and organizing a way to get their people back at work, to get back open, because they don't want to be closed. They don't want to lay people off. It's a necessity at this point. And I think they laid off as few people as possible. And it's tough. Um, and I, I do know that they, they did a lot for the cast members that they laid off HR-wise, um, planning, helping them out, communicating timelines of when they may be able to go back to work and what they're trying to do to get them to be able to go back to work. Because um, Disney is working behind the scenes to try to do as much as they can to improve the situation, not only for their people, but also for their customers. Um, they also restructured, right? So one of the things that I love about Epcot is that in World Showcase, you have people um, from those countries working in the pavilions. Mm -hmm. But with COVID, a lot of these people had to go back home. So they restructured and brought in other cast members from other areas and placed them there throughout the park. Um, as best they could. So they've kind of restructured how cast members have been allocated to certain jobs in the past. Um, the Disney College program was also suspended mm -hmm. in part to allow their full-time cast members to stay mm -hmm. on. Um, and so Disney is trying to do everything that they can so that they can keep their longtime workers who have been with the company for years and maybe to, um, and yes this is at the expense of others but some of the part-time workers to let them go so that their long-time cast members could still have a position and they made it clear when they did the furloughs to start that they're going to bring back every single person that they can um so it's not something that um it's something that they did the best with that they could i think um even though it's a difficult situation yeah, I mean it's a it's a really really difficult situation, and you do you you hear when you hear the news of it, it makes for negative publicity. Um, but you know that's why I think it's important that um, people have, and that's why I wanted to ask the question. Like uh, uh, that's important to hear from somebody like you who's able to kind of give that perspective of here are some of the things that we are able to talk about with um, future managers and future leaders that are gonna be going into these areas, um, not necessarily with Disney, but with other companies. And here's kind of the lessons that can be learned from this situation to help all these different companies, all these different brands and, yeah. and employees. Um, 
because I mean, Disney knows that their cast members are an asset. A lot of people that I've talked to, as soon as they heard of the parks closures, their first thought was not like, oh man, I can't go to Disney. It was, mm-hmm. oh no, the cast members, because mm-hmm. the cast members make people's vacations what they are a lot of times. And Disney knows that. So they want to take care of their people. They really do because their people take care of their customers. Yes. It's this trickle down model, right? Of you yeah. treat your people well, they treat your customers well. And that's a big deal for Disney. And they have have all these great cast members and they are trained and they don't want to let those people go um but sometimes you have to make those decisions that are really tough yeah and one of the really inspiring things has been with with all of this this negative news that has come out about the cast member layoffs and you obviously you're in the middle of a global pandemic there are people who have had much worse situations Um, But, you know, one of the inspiring things that when people have heard about cast members being laid off is the fans have really come together and supported a lot of cast members, whether it's through the food pantries, whether it's through um, like people doing Facebook live feeds um, and and having like the the Facebook tip jar and things like that, that fans have, have really tried to support some cast members, um, which is also something that's very, very interesting and unique that people have such affinity for this brand and for those cast members that they want to do that, that that's their, one of their Mm -hmm. first thoughts when they heard about the closures and then wanting to do all of these things to help those cast members, I, I think has been really, really nice. Yeah, I think there have been some podcasters even that have given um, some mouse mouse entrepreneurs a platform. So those cast members who were laid off who have developed a side business, um, they're promoting their side businesses for those cast members. And I think that's been really great too. Um, And maybe that even leads to something good where you've got people who are opening their own businesses because they've been given this opportunity to focus on themselves. Yeah. Um, and, and I know there, there have been many, many great programs. Um, Lee Cockrell and Dan Cockrell have, have talked to the class and on the show before about, um, and, and, and uh, Dan Cockrell was the latest to, to talk about um, some of the things that, you know, former retired um, cast members and employees have been able to do to, to just kind of help people in, in people exhibit or um, show those skills that they have, that they've learned through their time at Disney. So to, to before we transition, uh, is there anything else you wanna say about how you use Disney in your classes? Um, you know, it's just one of those examples that just makes everybody kind of sit up and take notice i mean it's one of the professor's jobs is to engage the students and i think disney is a way that i can engage my students i can speak to them about something that i'm passionate about and also relay the information that they they should be learning in my classes um so they can take away that knowledge and it's also something that people remember more so they're going to remember more about diversification when i when they can think back oh yeah that example about marvel acquisition from disney they can it's something that's easy to remember so it's just it's just a great way to trigger memories 
um, to to leverage the knowledge that they have of a specific company and to engage with them about something that I'm passionate about. So it's just this just how Disney works in my classroom. Yeah, I I think it's uh, you you make a great point about engaging your students. I, I've always I, for a long time have felt that um, you know as as a professor or teacher um, you are part entertainer part um you know like disseminator of knowledge that you do have to engage people into what you're talking about and something like disney for a lot of people makes it really easy to become engaged in topics which mm -hmm. is great um to transition a little bit um you you have been to the parks um can you, can you give a little bit of a, a brief kind of overview of how you see um, the parks during the pandemic and how you see like ca cast member operations during the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been to the parks twice since, um, since uh, the pandemic started. I went once in August specifically because I knew that park attendance was down. I knew that park attendance was very low. I'm in a, you know, I'm younger. I, I don't have a high risk of COVID. Um, I took precautions, of course, but I traveled to Disney and because um, I wanted to experience that, right? I I love the parks. And a lot of times you're sharing that love with thousands of other people. So when I did hear that park attendance was low, not only did I want to go to support Disney because I want them to thrive, I want them to do well, me spending my money there helps them and I get enjoyment from it too. Um, but I also wanted to, maybe this once in a lifetime experience, mm -hmm. walking around the Magic Kingdom, being able to take photographs with no people in them um, and experience that, um, that was something that I wanted as a Disney fan to be able to immerse myself in that. And, you know, I was, I, the second time that I went, I hadn't planned on going, but, um, I tried to make the best of a bad situation. My family tested positive for COVID right before Thanksgiving. So they can't decided to cancel cancel Thanksgiving. You know, they just they were quarantined. Um, it was just a couple days before Thanksgiving. So I did some research and I found a nice um, hotel room at Disney. And because since I couldn't be with my family, I wanted to do something that made me happy. So I went and I stayed went to Disney during the parks and one thing that I really noticed while I was there both times was that cast members were so engaged with guests especially in August they were thrilled to be there they were thrilled to be back at work they wanted to be at work how many of us can say that right I can say that I love my job but how many people can really say I'm so excited to be at work I'm so excited to be here I'm excited to be engaging with other people um and I think that made the experience even better than just experiencing an empty park, engaging with people um, and, you know, going solo to that park also gives me a lot more opportunities to talk with mm -hmm. people. Um, people engage me a lot more often because the cast members see that I'm there by myself. They, I don't have anybody to talk to, yeah. um, which yeah. is usually not a problem for me. I tend to strike up conversations with anybody. But during the pandemic with everybody's social distancing, it was a little less, but the cast members were thrilled to engage with people. They were so happy to be there. And you could really tell that. Yeah. Um, so that was really interesting. I don't want to say side effect of COVID, but 
them coming back to their jobs after not having that opportunity, I think it made everybody appreciate yeah. what they had and be, appreciate being able to do something that they love to do. They wanted yeah. to be there. And that was really, and that was really great to see. Well, and it is, you know, just as, as difficult as it has been for fans to not be able to go back, it's been that much or more difficult for the cast members, not just for financial reasons, mm -hmm. um, but because uh, as we've talked about, a lot of people want to work for the company and want to say, want to be able to say they work for the company because of, of what it represents or because of the way it makes them feel so so thanks for that um you also had mentioned um and and i've i've seen before um you mentioned wandavision and so i i don't want to get into well i do want to get into like what everybody thinks is going to happen and then realize that everybody is completely wrong but yeah. just for purposes of of this, I guess I don't really want to get into that aspect of it, but what, what do you think it is that has drawn people into this show? And there have been criticisms that yes, the first two episodes were, were in black and white. And now the, I guess the contemporary consumer isn't really used to watching shows in that format and they're not used to watching kind of the sitcom style show and but when I think a lot of the people who have had criticisms in episode one every episode those criticisms have have really kind of fallen off to where now people are saying hey this is this is amazing this is incredible um yes yeah, so I, I think one of the things that that really drew people to WandaVision was that it was so different the promos that they were doing, they had Wanda mm -hmm. in a 50s style housewife dress. And that intrigued people, I think. They're like, what is going on here? So I think a lot of people watched the first one or two episodes out of curiosity because they were very, Disney's known for being tight-lipped about mm -hmm. their, they have lots of non-disclosure agreements. I think they put a muzzle on Tom Holland before yep. um, before uh, Endgame, um, so I think that they leveraged their 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 practices of secrecy and releasing these intriguing photos and posters and promos of why is this in black and white? Number one, I think they did. I mean, that was obviously done on purpose. Not only do we know that there's specific things that are colorized for a reason um, at this point. Um, I'll try to keep it spoiler free, but um, I think that everything they released, every, nobody knew what this was going to be about. Like WandaVision, what are you talking about? Yeah. I don't understand. So I know that I was, I love Marvel. So I was like, yes, I'm into the, this. I don't care what it is. But even for, and even after the first one or two episodes and people were like, oh, it's in, I don't understand this. What's going on? I don't know. Do I need to read the comic books? Cause I don't know what anything's going on. I was like, be patient just watch and I think now that we've seen the fourth episode which I think was the reason like they went three episodes by doing this this format on purpose to make it intriguing to do something different this is really different and that's another thing that Disney does really well it's different yeah than what's been done you see, we haven't seen anything like this before so 
now that we've gotten to the fourth episode and we understand more about why the first episodes were the way they were, I think that just brings it to a whole nother level. Um, and, that, and that goes another, that speaks to Disney's long-term mindset also, right? Episodes one and two, they're gonna be a little strange. You, you may not get it. Yeah. You may not understand what's going on, but by episodes four and then on through the series, and not only are they doing that for this specific series, but they're also doing it to launch yes. other things. So Disney never just does one thing. They never have one objective to have a successful TV show. They want to have a successful TV show that's different than anything that's been done, that's very creative, that's a critically acclaimed, that also launches these other things. Um, so it's that, that long, I think it shows that Disney's long-term mindset once yeah. again. Well, and that, you know, the, the, the links that it's going to have to future movies and, and future projects um, is, is no, you, you know, that's nothing new to the MCU. I mean, no. the very first time um, Nick Fury shows up at the end of Iron Man, the end credit scene, people didn't even know what an end credit scene was yeah. um, to, to, you know, announce the Avenger initiative. Um, but also, you know, it plays into so many different parts of the company their their parks their merchandise and everything that um it's just it's so it's such a great way to kind of almost give people a, a better better feelings um as to you know what everyone is dealing with right now and you know also with not having any Marvel properties in 2020. Now people are just so ready to see something that, you know, I, it was probably, it was a risk using WandaVision as the first um, mm -hmm. project that was going to be seen because of the way it's shot. And because people from the outset, they said, this is going to be completely different than anything mm -hmm. else you've ever seen. But now I think as you said, having gotten through the first four episodes, I think now people are really, really interested in it. And it's causing people to go and watch different movies and read different things. I've seen so many posts on social media about, hey, I'm watching WandaVision. I want to understand more about it. What movies do I need to watch to watch mm -hmm. this? Where, where are you a fan of the comics? So did you know anything about the comics before the MCU? No, I had no idea. So, um, and, and I've grown up with the movie versions of the yeah. MCU. So I've, I've never read a comic book, to be honest. Um, but I had, I've found myself doing my own research about the backstories of Wanda and Vision in the comic books. I haven't read the comic books themselves, but I've read about the comic books, yeah. if that makes sense. But, but like you said before, you said earlier um, in our chat that, yeah, I'm one of those people who grew up with the MCU as it's been relayed through Marvel and the movies since Disney's owned them. So that's my Marvel exposure and why I love it. Um, and I think Disney's been really great about taking people like me <laughs> and capturing their imagination and keeping them interested in all of these characters, even though I have no idea about the backstories of any of this. Yeah. Well, and what's, uh, I, I, am, I never really read many comics. Um, I read a few when I was a kid, but um, didn't really read enough to really understand. And 
and watching the MCU, and I'm a newer MCU fan. I, I watched all the movies before Endgame. Um, and then since then have probably, I've, I know I've watched in timeline order or chronological order yeah. and release order. <laughs> so I could see my preference. Um, and then, I, I mean, WandaVision, I've probably, I don't know, it's almost like I have each episode on a loop just because it's so much fun now to try and see all of those thing, those hidden things that are in there. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, it's like the parks that if you are a casual fan or a casual person who's gonna go to the parks, you can have a ton of fun. You could see a bunch of different things and you can have fun and you say, hey, I wanna go back. If you are a mega fan, you can go and you know the history behind the bridge that crosses you know, over into Liberty Square. You know yeah. why the people brown. say, don't walk down the middle of Liberty Square. Yeah. You know, like, you know, all of these different things and you know the, the backstory and the, the different characters like in the Haunted Mansion. And, and so there's something for every level of fan. If you wanna go and you wanna do a deep dive into all of this, you definitely can at the parks. I feel that's the same way with what they're doing with what they have been doing in the MCU, what they're doing with WandaVision and what they're doing now with the Mandalorian, um, mm -hmm. being able to, to take people back and say, hey, I wanna do these deep dives. Okay, if you wanna do this deep dive, here's this list of, uh, of episodes, other episodes or other movies to watch, which I think has been something that's really interesting on Disney Plus as well. Like you see, since you've watched this, why don't you watch these? And I, I know during the Mandalorian, they actually had, um, if you went into the Star Wars um, section, they had like playlists of, if you're interested in Ahsoka Tano, here's episodes of, you know, um, the Clone Wars to watch and everything. Yeah. Um, so it, it's just been really fascinating to, to see how they're playing all of that together. Um, sure. What are you, what are you most looking forward to this in 2021 um, within the MCU brand? Is there a show you or a movie you're most looking forward to? Well, I've been dying to see Black Widow. Um, <laughs> she's one of my favorite characters. And I feel like they've been teasing me with this movie for years now. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Um, but um, I'm not sure if it's slated. I mean, I, I'm not sure if it's still slated to um, premiere in 2021 at this point, but Loki mm -hmm. is something I'm interested in. He's one of my favorite characters. He's very mischievous. Um, and I love Tom Hiddleston. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. Um, I don't know anything about the Eternals except for their great cast. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing that. Um, and I think that's another thing that Disney does really well is the, the casting. Mm -hmm. I think they, they do casting quite well. We're like, yeah, that's, I can't imagine anybody else playing that part. Um, like best Spider-Man ever, Tom Holland, yeah. of course. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm, there's, I'm, I'm looking forward to everything that has marble in it. <laughs> well, and you know, like you talk about Black Widow and that's just been May, 2020 to then, I think it was maybe September or no, then November and now May, 2021. And there's talk of, you know, are they going to have to 
uh, move it back again? Are they going to try to do a, a Disney plus premium thing or anything? Um, yeah. I mean, I just, I, people just really want to see yeah. that movie because of the and, character and because of yeah. all the other things that are going to tie into that character. Um, and I don't think that Disney is moving Black Widow because they want to make money from the box offices. I think they're moving Black Widow because they think the big screen is going to be the best way to watch mm -hmm. Black Widow and appreciate it. I mean, as big as my TV is, it's still not going to be as good as that that huge screen in the movie theater. So I'm hoping that that can be like the launch of us going back to the cinema. I miss the movies personally. So I'll the, be there. And you bringing up um, Black Widow um, brought up another question that, that I was thinking earlier in the conversation and we went a different direction. But the the diversification of characters mm -hmm. in the Disney movies now across brands, Lucasfilm, Marvel, Pixar, Disney animation, um, the diversification has, I mean, we've really seen them trying to step up mm -hmm. and, and, you know, make these step-by-step -step progress to bringing more people into the brand um, by giving them representation but also we've we've seen with movies like Black Panther and we've seen with movies like um, Captain Marvel, the importance of representation in movies like that. Um, in Soul, the importance of representation. And something that's really interesting to me is what impact we can see the impact on consumers. What impact do you think that has on employees and on cast members that they can say, I'm, I work on this project where this is represented, or I work for a company that maybe I don't work in that department or I don't work in that brand, but our subsidiary is putting out these stories where um, these, these strong women, the strong people of color are represented and how important that is. What impact do you think that has for the employee aspect? So I think it really increases the pride that they have in their workplace, right? So if somebody's proud to work at a company, they're going to go above and beyond from what their job description tells them to. Like my job description says I have to do this, 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 and this but I like where I work. I'm proud to be here. I'm gonna go above and beyond and also do this, this, and this, and I'm gonna give 110% to do it. Um, so that increased pride, it also increases people's organizational, we call them organizational citizenship behaviors, right? It's those above and beyond behaviors that you do in the workplace. And it can be anything from, you know, going out of your way to do something for your coworkers that's not required of you, um, to do something like water plants or something in the office space because you want it to look nice, you know, mm -hmm. you, you know, and it's just those above and beyond behaviors other than what you're actually being paid to do. And we know from research that when people have a pride in their workplace, that they do more of those organizational citizenship behaviors. And not only does that increase individual level performance, but it increases organizational level performance. Okay. So those are those are always things that if you can instill a sense of pride in your workplace, and that's what Disney's doing. Not only are they doing it because that's the right thing to do, um, 
they should be sharing these stories. And it's unbelievable um, how many stories that we don't, haven't heard yet because we haven't had necessarily this wide range of representation from all these different cultures and people's backgrounds. Um, so I think that's exciting because that gives us new material, right? It gives Disney new material to work with. And it, inst it also instills a pride. Um, but by Disney doing, and we call a lot of these behaviors, the, it's corporate social responsibility. Yeah. Now, a lot of times it just links back to the environment, but corporate social responsibility are those things that organizations do above and beyond what is required of them by law or above and beyond what they may be doing just to better their bottom line. Yeah. And it's, and I think that that diversification, they're doing that not only because their consumers want that, right? They want to bring in more people because those people like that Disney's representing them now. Um, and it's, they're also increasing their, they're doing things because it's right. Yeah. You know, it's the right thing to do. Yes, it does have these other benefits for them, but that may not necessarily be why they're doing it. But for, for the side effect, it does increase cast member pride. It does increase uh, company buy-in. You're buying into the company culture. Disney values diversification. They're, they're showing that they value diversification by doing the actions that they're taking, not just words. They're actually doing it. Um, and I think that that really, that instills that sense of pride. It instills... Um, and it helps employees um, link back to their organization and to invest in the organization as uh, emotionally, not just mm -hmm. they give me a paycheck. I'm invested in their, them doing well. Yeah. Yeah. And that it's a great point. And I, I, it also makes me think of the, the, the Pixar spark shorts where those are shorts that um, their, their artists can work on those and kind of have these, uh, side projects is probably not the right way to explain them, but, or describe them, but, you know, they're working on their features and then they also can say, okay, this team of 20 people. Yeah. If you want to work on this, work on it. And it's almost like this contest to, if it's good enough, we're going to put it out. We're going to put it either right. in, in a front of a feature film. We're going to put them on Disney plus we, we, that's, that's one of the beautiful things about Disney plus is now you have all of these different areas to showcase people's talents that um, I think that probably has, I mean, that has to have a big impact on employees as well and, and their, their amount of pride and their effort that they want to go yeah. above and beyond. Um, yeah, and it also, it, I mean, that's a benefit of, of working for Disney, right? You have all these resources yeah. to create something you love. It gives you ownership of what you're doing in your position. And it also gives, it's, a, it's an added benefit, right? One of those side benefits of I, I'm being empowered. Disney is essentially empowering their employees to increase creativity, to do something that they love, and to invest their own in, uh, emotional well-being into other projects that will also benefit Disney as a company. Yeah. Um, now that's not Disney's not the first company to do that. Um, 3M is well known for giving people um, extra time. Uh, they get like 10 per, 10 to 20 percent of time to work on their own projects, yeah. and that's actually um, instigated some really good uh, inventions. Because uh, that's how we got stick it notes, isn't it? That's how you get sticky notes. Yeah. yeah, I love the post-it note story. Yeah. I always do one of those. The post-it note story. That's um, a post-it note. So. That. 
yeah the, somebody invented that on their yeah while they were working for the company on their 20 percent time that they were allotted to work on a project that they wanted to do and so instilling that empowering the employee to take ownership of something to give them leeway and create to, to do something creative that's one of the really rough things about an organizational structure is you you tend to stifle creativity a little yeah. bit because you're putting people in the box you give them their job description and it kind of limits their their scope of what they can do or what they even think about doing but the organizations that free their people to be creative to to try things i know they're not going to work all the time they may not even work most of the time but the inventor of sticky notes did a pretty mm -hmm. good job and yeah. we, we have a lot of money yeah. <laughs> so it's just one of those things that it's smart for organizations to do that yeah. um and they're going to bring in people who want to be in work in that kind of environment who do well in that kind of environment so the people who do want that extra freedom who are really really good creative people they're going to work and work for disney because yeah. disney's going to give them the resources and the time and the support to do what they want to do yeah. not necessarily just what they have to do and so thank you for for all of this for for walking through um, not only your fandom, but kind of the employee aspect of um, Disney and, and what you're able to talk about in your classes. Um, it's been just tremendously interesting to hear all of this and 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 have have the conversation um, that that hopefully I added to. But um, you you took it and ran with it, which was amazing. Um, there, there, there's one last section that I, I want to do, um, and it, it's a series of rapid fire questions. These yeah. can, you can explain if you want, you don't have to explain at all. Um, okay. So most of them deal with the parks. Um, okay. Have you, have you been to like different resorts like Disneyland, Walt Disney World and any of the international parks? Okay, so this may make me a really bad fan, but I've never been to Disneyland. I, I haven't had I the haven't opportunity. Either. I haven't had the opportunity. I, I wanted to go this summer. I'd actually, so um, I'm, I'm supposed to be graduating from the PhD program in, uh, now it's April, it was May, now it's April. Um, and that was going to be like my big thing is I wanted to go to Disneyland and I wanted to go to Tokyo Disney mm -hmm. and I wanted to go to Shanghai and Hong Kong. That was going to be like my big trip. I've saved up some money for it um, from when I sold my house before this. So I had this whole plan. I've got lots of points and miles and I really wanted to do those those parks. That was my plan for the summer and it's not going to happen, unfortunately. Did so I will. I will be going to those parks, but I know and I've purposefully not looked at anything so like the only podcasts that i haven't listened to of loose are the ones that talk about disney and shanghai yeah. and hong kong because i don't want to know going in i want to be completely surprised and go visit and just you know that this that sense of discovery so yeah. i don't know anything about any other parks except for disney world and i'm very familiar with all of those parks and resorts and restaurants i know the restaurants <laughs> <laughs> the and i i haven't been to uh, Disneyland either. We were supposed to go in May because we had a comp, I had a conference in San Diego and we were going to take mm. a few days and drive yeah. up to Anaheim. And obviously, um, you know, we weren't able to do that. So then what you've been to Walt Disney world. So other than mm. Walt Disney world, what other resort 
property. And by that, I mean, Disneyland, Shanghai, Tokyo, um, not specific gate or specific hotel. What resort property are you most looking forward to? Like is on your must do first. Tokyo Disney Sea. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I've heard some sideways stuff about it. I've heard about how amazing it is. It's the number one park that I've heard that people who've been to all of the parks talk about. They're like, that is the, if you go to one international park, that's the one you should go to. And I know that, um, and I did see a little bit of it. Um, they've got uh, the, the Imagineering yeah. story yeah. where they talk about it a little bit. I was like, I had to fast forward some because yeah. I didn't, because I still wanted it to be kind of secret. But um, yeah, that's my number one. Yeah, and then the, the students actually watch the imaginary story when we talk about okay. um, the parks. And so, you know, that that episode where they kind of contrast what's going on at Disney Sea and what's going on mm-hmm. um, across the country. Um, so then within Walt Disney World, what's your favorite gate? Oh, I like them all for different reasons. Um, but if I have one day, one one place to go it's going to be magic kingdom just because that's like that's i mean that's the one i mean i love the rides i love the atmosphere i just like walking around it's just a great environment to be in okay and anywhere on property any of the gates um favorite ride Okay, I'm giving two because I can. <laughs> um, so Rise of the Resistance is okay. absolutely yeah. astonishing. Um, and, I, and I did the same thing for that ride. I specifically didn't watch anything about it. I didn't know anything going in. I wanted to be completely surprised. And I went um, and it was insane. Yeah. So that was, that's my number one. Like if I do one ride, that's the ride I'm going to go do. Um, but I also love Haunted Mansion. So that's, yeah. that's for more nostalgic reasons and more for like, that's just, that's every time I go to Disney, I will do that ride period. Yeah. Um, I'll do the, probably do that ride every time I go in that park. Like I don't leave the magic kingdom park without going on the Haunted Mansion. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, favorite uh, show. Favorite show, like TV show or Disney show? No, no, sorry. Show? Favorite, favorite show in a park. Favorite show in a park. Or, or um, park or, or on property. Could be at any of the resorts yeah. or anything as well. Uh, hoop doo Okay. Yeah. So that one's just so fun. Um, and I think it's always good entertainment. So like hoop doo doo is great. I like yeah. that's, that's fun. Um, favorite Ooh, anywhere second place sorry second no, place no, is no the words. hocus pocus show the hocus uh, the the hocus pocus show uh during halloween during mickey's um okay halloween not so scary halloween party the with the sanderson sisters that's number two okay i i haven't i've i have been multiple times during fall i've never been to the specific um halloween party there it's which, good time which, yeah it's i hear it's it's a lot of fun um Anywhere on property, favorite restaurant that that includes parks, resorts, Disney Springs. Ooh, I really like the Boathouse. Okay. Like, I mean, it, it has a lot of hype, but it's there for a good reason. Um, I've never had a bad meal there, and the environment's awesome. I love sitting out on the deck, like to go out to the dockside bar, mm-hmm. um, and they've got great seating out there. I can watch little amphicars drive by, and it's it's great. I like I like the I like the Boathouse a lot. Okay. 
So when we go to the parks or anywhere on property, uh, we're usually doing some of the, the, the fast service. Um, so I, like I haven't been to Boathouse. I haven't been to a lot of places that people, people talk about. Um, and also the, the age of our kids where, you know, we're, we're kind of trying to do things on the go a lot of times. Um, but one thing I do is I love the treats in the parks. Mm. any park on property do you have a favorite treat so i really love the cheshire cattail <laughs> it's kind okay. of an odd one but the cheshire cattail it's like a chocolate croissant um okay. it's got colored icing on it but it's really good um it used to be in fantasy land but now i think they're i think um tomorrowland's selling it in the hmm. tomorrowland terrace they'll they'll sell it sometimes so i'll have to i'll, I'll have to put that on the list to I'm not a big like Dolbit fan. I know that may get me expelled from the Disney fandom. I don't I don't really like soft serve ice cream all that much. So well, I know this, that's probably a popular one. This last time we went was the first time I had a Dole Whip and I ended up having a few before I left that day. <laughs> so I, I am I am a big Dole Whip fan now. But um so then last, this could be a park character. Uh, well, two more questions. This could be parks uh, from the movies, any of the acquisitions. Do you have a favorite character that is Disney or now Disney owned? So my, my favorite character from anything is actually Tiana. Okay. Love Tiana. Um, I love the me. I love New Orleans and that whole style. Like, you know, I'm in North Mississippi. So like that whole Cajun feeling on I me, mean, I love that. Um, New Orleans is one of my favorite places. Um, but Tiana, her whole story, her mindset and work ethic, I think is a great, is, is great. So I just, I really like Tiana. So you're really looking forward to uh, the retheming to, 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 to I love Splash Mountain. I do. It's great. I actually have, I had a Splash Mountain cup. Okay. Um, yeah. That I got a couple couple years ago. Um, that's my water cup. Um, but I'm super excited about the Princess and the Frog retheming. And Disney does leverage the nostalgia mm -hmm. effect. Um, but they also have shown that they're not afraid. They're not going to be stagnant they're not going to be afraid of change and they're not going to be afraid of bringing something new in um and disney fans i mean i know a lot of people like love splash mountain love the theming don't want it to change at all ever and i get their perspective it's what they know it's what they like it's what they love it's it's a great ride i love the ride i go on it all the time it's and it, the length of it, it's awesome too it's it makes yeah. you feel worth yeah. it standing in line because it's a good length of ride but at the same time, bringing in the Princess and the Frog, I think, is going to be really smart. Um, it's the perfect ride for that property, I think. Um, the music is wonderful. So we're not going to lose, like, we're losing the songs in Splash Mountain, but we're not losing the great music environment. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think you can kind of tie it into that area. Frontierland, the Southeast-ish. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing what they're doing. Um, I, I think... Mm -hmm. You know, Tiana is one of those characters that that hasn't, um, unfortunately, hasn't really gotten as much attention in the parks as some others because I think they mm -hmm. they didn't have the attractions and everything to go with it. So I'm really excited to see what they do. And then, you know, if you ever have any doubt, um, just 
trust that the Imagineers, given the the proper resources, they know what they're doing. You know, they're yeah. Um, so yeah, the, I went on, I went on the inaugural I went on the inaugural Disney cruise out of New Orleans last year, okay. right before all this pandemic started. Yeah. So it's like it was the last fun thing I did in 2020. <laughs> um, but uh, without a face mask, that is the last fun thing I did without a face mask. Um, was go on that cruise and it was they had you know tiana's place was one of the restaurants so she was featured there yeah. she did character meet and greets there was um you know it was all new orleans themed so that was that was really exciting to see that that and the, you know because it was out of new orleans so tiana was a big presence on that cruise i loved it yeah yeah i think it's really cool that they're going to be bringing that in and now like telling this new story uh, that that people are going to be able to identify with and then um, some people that have seen the movie will identify with it. Others that may not have seen the film yet um, now will kind of get to do that deep dive as well. Um, last question. Um, we've talked about different acquisitions during this talk as well. Um, what's your favorite acquired property like Pixar, Lucasfilm, um, Marvel? You yeah, definitely Marvel. Marvel. Um, I think Marvel, I mean, I, I think they've done a great job with Pixar. I think they could have done better with Star Wars. Um, I think they're doing better now for sure. Um, but with Marvel, I think that they took something that was good. I mean, Marvel was awesome. They had good comic books um, and they made it great. Yeah. They yeah. introduced these people to they introduced all these characters that were so imaginative and thought of by Stanley and his partners. And they introduced them to such a wider audience and they did it well. Yeah. Um, they, they treated the characters right. They were faithful to the characters, but they also were able to tell us these stories and do it in a way where we were, that kept captured our interest. Um, so I think they've done the best with Marvel. That was the smartest purchase they made. Yeah, for sure. They've gotten well, their return on investment for Marvel. <laughs> after, after two or three movies. I think. Yeah, probably. Um, they, so this has been a lot of fun. I know uh, you have to teach class, so we'll let you go. But um, this has been this has been a whole lot of fun. Very, very informational. Thank you for doing this, Jamie. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. And um, I do talk about Disney a bit in my classes. I don't get to talk about them this much. So this has been fantastic. Um, yeah, yeah, I've got to go teach a class at one. So is, is there anywhere um, people could could follow you or contact you to, to keep in touch? They're welcome to send me an email. I'm okay. not. I don't really have a whole lot of social media presence. I don't have. I, I don't have my own podcast or anything. I'm just. You know. Um. Right now, I'm a professor at Ole Miss. Uh. But I am on the job market. So. Um. I'm. I, my current email is jwilliams at bus dot And it's O L E M I S S Olmis. Okay. Um. And you, I'm, I'm respond to emails quite frequently. So you're, please, please email me if you have any questions or if you want any resources. Um, if you do teach Disney classes and you're watching this as well, uh, if you want to reach out to me for any resources that I have, I'd be happy to share. Right. Um, or if you just have any questions, it's cool. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Jamie. This was a lot of fun. Have a good rest of your day. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. Well, that's going to do it for another episode of the Being a Fan of Disney podcast. I'm your host, Cody Haver. 
I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone for joining us and listening, and to say that I hope you found the information, whether content covered in class or interviews with guests, fun, informational, entertaining, and even inspiring. If you want to follow along with the class, you can do so by following me on Twitter at chaverdphd. That's C-H-A-V-A-R-D-P-H-D. Or by joining the public group on Facebook, Being a Fan of Disney. If you want to engage with any of the guests we've had in class, their contact information is included in each of the show notes. So again, thank you for joining us. It was a great time having you. If you like what you hear, please share this out so other people can engage with the information, possibly learn more about their Disney fandom and their love for all things Disney related. With that, thank you again and have a great day. Thank you.